Welcome to the History of Networking on the Network Collective, where we drag all the skeletons out of the wiring closet. Today, we are talking to George Swallow about the history of MPLS traffic engineering. So grab a pile of cookies, settle in, and listen as we meld with the finest minds in networking. So, morning, George. I think you're on the East Coast with the morning with Donald and I, which is cool. So why don't we back up the beginning and tell us about the beginning of MPLS Traffic Engineering, how you got involved in it, and where it started and stuff like that. So a little background on me. I was um, at a company called Lightstream and working on um, uh, MPOA, um, multi-protocol over ATM. And I was chairing that committee at the ATM forum. And... I knew Yakov Rector from that connection. Um, in 95, uh, January 95, Cisco bought Lightstream um, to get into the ATM market. And uh, about six weeks later, Yakov joined uh, Cisco. And um, a year on, Cisco decided that uh, they were really, it was too late to bring a new party into the ATM business. And they went out and bought Stratacom, which uh, put a bunch of engineers in um, the, from Lightstream with uh, nothing to do. And um, Vice President of Engineering said to Yakov, go find some of these guys to do. Um, and um, then in 1996, March, there was a IATF in L.A. And uh, Ypsilon came to that IATF, they were you know, the uh, IP over ATM guys, and um, finally announced, you know, gave some technical detail as to what they were doing. And um, I went, ran, bumped into Yakov, and I said, hey, did you hear what Ypsilon is doing? And, um, you know, I said, they're sending, um, they're routing um, based on uh, source destination address over ATM circuits and using that to set up the routes. And, uh, um, you know, and he said, great idea, except it should have been packets and it should have been NLRI, network layer routing information. Um, and so that became the project that we we're all going to work on. And we went back to uh, um, Chelmsford at the time and uh, <clears throat> came up with a, the concepts of traffic engineering. And then each of us sort of started working on pieces of it. And I said, you know, we could engineer traffic just like ATM does with this stuff. And um, that became my little thing. So I started working on that at the end of March in uh, 96. And from there, um, we developed concepts of what we're going to do. We went off in May of uh, 96 and talked to uh, Union and to MCI to find out what they were doing. We, um, Jakob had already told me they had huge underlay networks that um, everything that um, UUNet was doing was running over a frame relay network and um, everything that MCI was doing was running over an ATM network. Now you have to turn the clock back because this Circumstances were extremely different back then. Um, we had um, a grave shortage of bandwidth. Um, 
that um, everybody was trying to squeeze every, um, make every bit on a line useful. And this, they were using up frame, you were using frame relay and 18 respectively to divide up the bandwidth um, and to create meshes between their pops. And so, um, you know, we walked in there and said, we can do this inside the routers that you already own. You only need to run one network, not two. And um, they liked that idea a lot. <laughs> and so do our executives. And so uh, <clears throat> we got a project going pretty quickly after that. And that's uh, pretty much where it started. Unmuted. So um, what kind of challenges were you facing? So you're talking about trying to get every bit of the bandwidth available out of the network. Um, was it, is it more about like, like it describes some of the challenges you're trying to sh- solve in that area or what you're trying to do to make that happen? Well, um, I was building the charge engineering technology. Um, the, uh, network design aspects of it. There was a company that, um, and, the name should come back to me pretty quickly, but uh, it's not on the top of my head right now, uh, <clears throat> that um, UUNet was already using. And um, so I started meeting with them to uh, get them to um, take the same tools that you know they were designing UUNet's network with and have it spit out, uh, um, <clears throat> you know, Cisco uh, uh CLI instructions instead of whatever okay. they or uh, the Cascade network that um, UUNet had. Okay, so they were basically doing an early form of DevOps for traffic engineering, basically spitting out Cisco CLI to create traffic engineer paths based on... This was an independent company that was building a tool yeah. that right. was yeah, 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 yeah. and it had backends that spit out all kinds of yeah, yeah, of course. Sure, sure. And um, so what kind of challenges did they come to you with in order to solve? Like you were talking about getting the best of the bandwidth out, like being able to use less than optimal best paths, I think is the best, is one of the things that was going around at the time. Like you have 10 that, paths. That, that was the whole point of traffic engineering. It was right. To uh, take path and take traffic that would have taken the shortest path through the network. and But, but, those links were congested because they all get in towards the center of it. And then you make, if you can move some of that traffic out to the periphery, you get better results. You actually get better, better delays on a longer pass because the queuing situation is better. Yeah. is better. So choosing a suboptimal path from a length of path perspective, but a better path from a buffer queuing utilization perspective to get the jitter and the delay down for particular classes of traffic or something like that. How were those, how were those paths chosen? How do you decide that I want to go a different way? Now, th- this is what that independent um, tool was doing. So, so okay. then, um, but we needed a way to set up these paths. And um, the, there were already a protocol. We, we had a big debate as to whether we do a new singling protocol or adopt uh, RSVP, um, RSVP to do it because that was already an established program. Um, there was a, we ended up going with RSVP, um, 
TE um, because basically developers said it's it's much easier to add something to an existing protocol than to do something from scratch. Uh, so that's uh, so you were signaling these paths using RSVP TE, but I think you were actually going more than that, right? You were actually discovering what paths were available over RSVP TE. Is that? I think that's kind of part of the game that, that had to be played. That Cisco was doing. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So. Um, so when, the other the other um, challenge was to figure out how to get the bandwidth utilization known throughout the network because that that was important. Um, with an independent tool, you could sort of guess at it, but. Um, that worked fine for initial design, but um, we also wanted it to be robust so that if a link failed, there was a way to reroute around it was the first thing, what was to just change the path. So you, But in order to do that, you had to know what band was, was still out there, where, where you could find the path. And, um, you know, there was a debate whether that should be its own protocol. And... Um, uh, People had just gotten the IGPs really stable at that point in history, and um, they were reluctant um, to add this stuff to uh, routing protocols. So I, I had been uh, lobbying for that, but uh, being dismissed, and Yaka was off designing his own protocol for it. And um, and but we went down and talked to uh, UNet, and uh, Michael Dale said you should just put this in the IGP. And all of a sudden, the guides in Cisco said, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, the customer said it, and they're writing checks. So, hey. <laughs> well, yeah, that and, and also Michael Dell had a tremendous amount of technical influence. Respect. Yeah, right. Technical influence over the things that were going on, sure. So, right. So, um, when did we move? So, MPLS-TE described to us a little bit about um, so we had this concept of MPLS, which comes out of tag switching. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that background. Um, and then TE, the TE part is basically just using label stacks. Is that, I mean, can we talk a little bit about that technology, those technologies? So the, the, the next piece to the puzzle was that um, people got more dependent on the networks and they wanted things to not only be able to reroute um by uh, going off to uh, some other path, you know, if, if, if a tunnel failed, um, the initial backhoe was just to reestablish the tunnel, but that takes a fair amount of time. And so the, the next step was to figure out how to uh, um, do that much faster. And so uh, we came up with the idea of fast reroute. Um, I see FRR on a T-shirt. I'm not sure if that stands for the kind of FR I was doing, but um, <laughs> called the yeah. and um, uh, basically we set up tunnels that would go one or two hops, both for link repair and for node repair, and um, use those to nest a broken tunnel across those links. And some of the tricky stuff was uh, to figure out how to figure out when a line went down and get that information um, fast because we're trying to make, um, you know, under the 50, uh, 50 millisecond uh, uh, goal that the phone companies had, 
And um, the uh, interesting thing is we could get the router um, tables updated in about 50 microseconds. Um, but the rest of the time was needed to figure out when the link went down. And we basically learned to use every possible indication we could. And uh, the next thing you wanted to figure out pretty fast, but not quite as fast, was whether it was uh, the link had failed or the uh, node beyond it had failed. Right. So interesting, yeah. So again, you know, let's go back and talk about the technology here. So what you're using is you're using nested MPLS labels. So starting with tag, um, I think that MPLS comes out of tag largely or originally kind of came out of the whole tag and ATM markets or tag kind of comes out of ATM or is parallel. How much so, of that history were you involved with? Or? So the, the tag switching, you know, started there at the uh, Los Angeles IETF. Um, we came back from that meeting and we uh, got everybody together in Chelsea and Yakov came and uh, we spent um, I think three or four days just whiteboarding this stuff out and brainstorming and um, it started coalescing there were there were many many um, debates as to um, how many like labels we should allow we were all thinking in the same terms of ATM you know BCI and BPI and um, <clears throat> And, you know, we started saying, well, you might need two here. And then we know that two really isn't enough. So let's go at least to three and blah, 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 back and forth, back and forth. And finally, um, you know, I'm, I'm talking about FRR and, I, you know, you might want to reroute these things, you know, so you might want to stack an extra label on there. And uh, we're talking about other possible applications and nobody quite knew how many labels you might want. And then uh, Eric Rosen pipes up and he says, why don't we just make it a stack? And um, I, I think that's probably one of the most important things in the design of MPLS, um, that you have a stack, you can put any number of labels on a packet, and the way those labels go on is pretty much control plane independent, meaning that you don't really have to have a lot of interaction between um, IP and tracking engineering or between VPNs and what's going on in the rest of the network. Um, the, uh, the, <clears throat> so the other, um, well, I'm jumping ahead now, um, back to TE. The, the other thing that we had to figure out for TE was how to, what traffic goes on what tunnel. And, um, <clears throat> Uh, the approach that we took was that it was going to go down a little rabbit hole and it was going to pop up, but the only place it could pop up is on the source destination path to that node. So that if I have a, if I have a tunnel all the way to that node, it's going to take that tunnel. But if I have a tunnel that goes um, one or two nodes short of that, we we trace down the the um, the uh, <clears throat> the tree from the source to the destination, and if that link is part of the rowdy tree, we we pop it out. Otherwise, we don't use it. And um, that's uh, how the, uh, the the Cisco implementation worked. Interesting. So, yeah. So. Um... So tag was effectively a reaction to ATM, 
ATM was struggling from what I remember because of problems with utilization across a link. The utilization on the links was really low from what I remember. I talked to Peter Lothberg a long time ago and he said their links at Sprint were not very full because of ATM. And so, or they weren't getting a lot of good put. They were getting a lot of throughput, but not a lot of good put. So, so Peter's, Peter's biggest objection was, um, the uh, cell tax, you called it. Right, the cell tax, right. So, so that you, you have a, you know, half the packets of the network were axed. You know, you got these 40-byte packets, and you divide them up into um, cells. And um, the, uh, the way all the encapsulations work, it doesn't quite fit into one cell. So you end up in two cells with the second one almost empty, plus the the 18, you know, the five bytes a header on each one. Right. And um, you, you waste a lot of bandwidth that way. And uh, that was one of, you know, Peter's great objections. He, um, we had a very interesting meeting with uh, Peter one day. And uh, Bruce Davey was along with me, and there was, I can't remember who else was in the room. But um, uh, Peter went on a rant about ATM. And, uh, and, there are people at the table still trying to argue that ATM was good. I think it happened long before MPLS. I think this happened when we were still trying to sell light stream switches. And then Peter ran out of the room. He grabbed Bruce Davies' um, business card, ran out of the room, and then came back with a scissors and a piece of tape. <laughs> Cut up the <laughs> he cut up the uh, card in strips and then <laughs> all back together. Does <laughs> <laughs> it look better than what you started with? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a great way to prove your point, though, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah, there was actually an article in uh, an old magazine that's no longer published called BTM Next Generation Postal Service, and they did exactly. They talked about shredding the mail into small, fixed-sized pieces and putting headers on each one, and then the mail truck would be so much more efficient at carrying all these fixed-sized pieces, and you could reassemble your mail at the other end. <laughs> I so starkly remember that that article. Um, so that's why Yakov is talking about in the early days, he was talking about it needs to be packets rather than cells. I think, right. Was that in MPLS was to get around that problem. He, he well, you know, <clears throat> links were getting faster and faster and, um, the need for fragmentation, you know, when you've got a very slow link and you want to put voice and data and video over the same link, then you need to. Inter, interleave those things you know that you couldn't wait for a big long packet you know um, four thousand bytes to go by before you got the next video frame out or the next uh, audio bit out right and that's just serialization delay and speed of link is all that is well but but it, it it's the it's yeah serialization right it, it's delay to get that packet across is is too long yeah um so, uh, but when that delay starts going way down and you're running much faster links, then it becomes less, less important. Um, and, um, 
the IP world was not carrying much voice or video at that time. It was mostly experimental stuff. And so we weren't even worried about that so much. So, so the idea of packets made a lot of sense for, um, you know, when you're, when, when the end thing you're delivering is an IP packet, um, sending the packets across directly rather than chopping them up and putting them back together seemed like a very good idea. Yeah. So hence the idea of using a label that's ATM-ish, but using a packet that is IP-ish, combining those two concepts and giving you the ability to do traffic engineering, which gets you around the problem in a sense, because now you can almost dedicate links to voice and video traffic, which gets it out of the queue. So it's almost an elephant flow, mouse flow type of situation, but on the wide area network rather than in a link state fabric or instead of a, a data center fabric type situation is kind of well, what that's I, pretty much true. Um, actually by the time that, uh, um, video and audio came onto the networks, the links were now up to the speed, you know, gigabit links, um, that, um, dividing them across, uh, different links wasn't necessary anymore. It was just a matter of getting priorities straight. Right. And, um, you know, if you have a small amount of high-priority traffic, um, what that traffic sees pretty much is equivalent to an empty network, um, where the, the rest of the traffic is, is taking its turn behind it all the time. Right, right, yeah. And that's just queuing. That's just out, that's just outbound queuing on the box, mostly. Yeah. So, so, right. uh, so thinking of queuing... Um, were you involved at all in the MPLS EXP bits and all the queuing stuff that went on later on beyond the traffic engineering pieces? And how did all that come about, if you were? It was, it was a mistake to call them EXP bits because from day one, we, we, knew, we knew that we wanted to use it for class of service or type of service or whatever you like to call those things. But um, it was a matter of how do we use just three bits and... Um, that uh, led to many, many difficult discussions. And, uh, and we were not able to come to a conclusion in time to uh, put out uh, RFC 3031 and have those, the definition of those bits solid. So we all agreed not to agree right now. Ah, so that's how they became experimental. We called them experimental because we wanted people to experiment with them. But we always meant to experiment in different ways of using class of service, not doing all kinds of strange things with them. I see. Yeah. So why three bits? What's the history there? I mean, what happened that it was exactly three bits? Well, there's a long history there. And Peter brought Lothberg and Yakov uh, way heavily on this. Um, so... Peter was very, very um, big on the cell tax, as, as we just mentioned. And uh, Yaakov wanted to produce something that would uh, be acceptable to Peter. Um, and uh, so <clears throat> there was a debate. Um, Rosen and I wanted to put an extra header. Um, so, you know, the top of the MPLS stack would be just something that carried the quality of service and the uh, hop count and a protocol ID of all things. And um, the rest of the stack would be 
mostly labels and end of stack bit. And uh, there are some other bits used for somebody else. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, and um, Yakov really opposed the idea of having to burn up um, 64 bits on every uh, frame. So uh, we, we debated that back and forth and back and forth. And uh, uh, Yakov won the day, except that that still wasn't good enough for Peter. He never liked it. Um, <clears throat> yeah, right. <laughs> <coughs> Went off to Japan and worked at a provider that did. No, that's not him. That's not that's not right. No, sorry. That's Randy Bush. But nonetheless, uh, you know, refused to do MPLS wherever he was for a long, long time to come. Um, like forever, yeah. <laughs> yeah, forever, yeah. In fact, I don't think his network still runs in PLS, but I'm not positive. But anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. no, no, no. I'm, I'm sprinting and a lot of people are running in PLS now. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so it's, um, so anyway, so the three bits, I mean, it's just an odd number, right? It's three bits. It's so not we, needed, it's, we needed a end of stack bit. Ah, uh, Okay. So, so it, it, when when we were going to put the header at the top, that that was oh yeah, that was the other bit. You know, it was a, there was a stack depth indicator. Yeah, right, 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 right. How many, how many words below that were were labels, not not the frame itself. Um, so once we decided that we weren't going to have that header thing, then all that information had to get crammed into. Um, so the first thing we did was go from 24 bits down to 20 bits on the label, and that freed up four bits, which we then used for um, EXP and, and top of stack. Or I see. Okay, that's why three bits, because you had the top of stack or end of stack bit. So, so why not make the TTL smaller then instead of eight bits? Uh, that was a big, long, long uh, debate, and... Um, but after talking to some of the ISPs and things, they did not want to risk that. That there are things that um, there is cropped around. You know, people had assumed that you were always going to put the maximum value in the in the TTL, and then so so they expected two fifty five there, and they were checking to make sure that it hadn't gone below some magic number to make sure that this was not a packet that came in from outer space. It was something that they had sent themselves, or uh, things like that. So, uh, and, and there was this stuff that just existed, and they were afraid of upsetting existing uses of those of the, of the TTL. So that's actually interesting because that's pretty much the premise of the BGP TTL hack, right? Is that you send a packet with 255 and then you check or you send a packet, yeah, just, um, and then you check to see, oh, is it, you know, above a certain number or whatever. So that's interesting that that came up in that context. I wouldn't have expected that, um, to come up in that context of MPLS. Um, it may be that that, when, when did that hack come along? Oh, it's only been what, Donald? Four or five years, maybe something like that. I don't know exactly. Yeah, it's it's not been that and long. Anyway, apparently there were similar hacks out there that some people were doing. Um, I guess just, I find that interesting in the fact that you would have to write something different to look at this the MPLS packet header TTL versus the normal header you would look at, right? So I just and I can't 
think of any network that actually has, you know, 255 hops in it. Does anyone, does anyone even really build that? No, but um, when we ended up putting the, the uh, TTL in the label, um, the providers were very um, happy to have their network look like one or two hops to the end user um, and, and, and not have to expose how many hops that had gone through the network. So, so that became uh, a separate you know, consideration, so we should say. Um, but that, that, that was basically a benefit of that decision rather than a, uh, um, the initial cause for that decision. So in the TE world, when you talk about the stack, why did it come out to be two for the most part? Is that something that just came out of the way things were designed or is that something that was intentional? I mean, was there anything beyond that or is it just? Um, for, for TE, uh, we, you know, it's always one for the tunnel and then a second one just for FRR. So, so the, 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 it was two labels only when you're in, in uh, when you're fast rerouting. Okay. So that was just because that was the way it worked to have an inner for the one to describe the tunnel, one to describe the, uh, the there are actually two tunnels. So, so you have a bypass tunnel that, you know, you have a link and you have a bypass tunnel that goes to this next node, but doesn't use that link. And if that link fails, you throw it onto that bypass tunnel. Okay. Right, 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 right. Okay, cool. So from an IETF perspective or from a, were there like challenges that you faced in getting this done? You've talked about several of the, the arguments that went on, but was there a lot of opposition in general to these types of concepts or, I mean, anything like that that you, that you dealt with in getting this stuff out there and running? Um, as far as getting the... Um, uh, you know, the, the basic MPLS uh, tag um, labeled by the time it got approved, um, established, uh, that was uh, pretty easy. Okay. Um, and basically, the what what the Cisco design had involved, evolved to um, and, and what MPLS was were identical. Okay. At the tag switching went through many different uh, workings, shall we, shall we call it. Um, but the, the final one was exactly the same thing as what MPS turned out to be. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. So, Donald, I know you have your usual question. <laughs> I was about there. So, so, what would you do differently? Looking back, what would you change? What would I change? Um, I'm not really sure. I'm I'm quite quite pleased with how it all turned out. Um, you know, it was a a huge huge success. Um, I felt that uh, w- one thing that um, uh, Lou Berger had suggested to me, and I took it um, not too seriously at the time, and I wish I had, was that. Um, he suggested that we use RSVP, but get a new protocol ID for it. And 
throw away all the stuff that's in MP, in RSVP GE in RSVP that RSVP GE was not using, um, and that would have greatly um, simplified a lot of implementation issues. Um, so, so that that's one thing I wish we had done differently. Um, I still go back and forth as to whether the uh, the header would have been a better idea than. Um, yeah, I was thinking that it, it actually sounds kind of cool to have a single header containing a lot of stuff and then a stack of labels under it, because it would be a bit more flexible in in uh, different things. I can understand how what the argument against it would be, but sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, you know, it tur- it turned out pretty good the way we went. So, so, but um, um, it might have turned out better the other way, but it's hard to prove. <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. All right. Well, excellent. So um, I think that's pretty much it, unless you have other bits of history you want to talk about in terms of MPLS TE or in that area, MPLS. Well, some of the interesting things were um, how different ISPs went about um, getting it deployed. Oh, really? Like, um, do you have any of those stories that are interesting? And uh, so, so front tier global com was um, our really big go to. There were there were there were a number of places. Well, first of all, uh, Cisco ended up not winning the uh, next round of um, routers for UUNet. They went with Juniper, so um, UUNet was off doing Juniper's implementation. Um, our first uh, really big, um, you know, beta site, which was closer to an alpha site in some ways, um, was uh, Alan Hanna at uh, Frontier Global Club. And um, they, they had, um, you know, very sharp people um, doing uh, pretty much DevOps, you know, pretty, you know creating tools for uh, monitoring tra- traffic engineering and, uh, and things. And uh, the uh, uh, so we, we were handing off stuff to to Frontier and Globalcom, and they were um, uh, deploying it fairly rapidly. And then um, we uh, come up with a uh, new uh, new rev, and we call up Alan and said. Uh, We'd like you to take this and test it out in your lab. Could you? He says, um, no, I'm putting it in my network. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That never happens. No, no, never. Nope. Yeah. So, so you know, got it out there. There were, there were a, a lot of big fire drills in those days. Um, but, um, you know, it, it all worked out really well. And then further down the road, um, after um, they, they became Global Crossing, uh, Global Crossing nearly went out of business because they yes they overinvested in uh, overseas cables and things and uh, ran into cash flow problems and things. And there were three years that they were not allowed to invest in more routers. They were told <laughs> that they needed to. Um, get a lot more revenue. And um, so it was mostly Dave Cooper in that, that time period. And um, 
I met, had dinner with Dave Cooper um, many years later. He, he said to me, you know, George, um, Global Crossing would have gone out of business because it hadn't been for traffic engineering. <laughs> we were able to use that to triple the uh, amount of traffic we were carrying without buying any new equipment. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's that's really cool, and that that's the point, right? Is to get more efficiency out of the network ultimately. So with less investment, you're getting more return. Yeah, and then the other thing that Dave Cooper did for us, he said, um, you know, we've got these trapping engineering tunnels going in both directions, and sometimes when they fail, we can't tell which one failed. Is it the, the, the tunnel from A to B or the uh, tunnel from B to A? Because, uh, you know, we're pinging down there and, uh, and we're not getting the echo reply, but we don't know if the ping got there. <laughs> so so um, he said, we need a better tool. And so uh, a bunch of us went off thinking about that and that turned into LSP ping. So, so that came directly out of the traffic engineering um, world. And that's why my fingerprints are all over LSP ping. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's been another thing recently, right? Has been LSB ping, has been a big deal in uh, the MPLS world. Yeah, it's the really the only serious diagnostic tool that exists, mm-hmm. other than getting directly on uh, routers and looking. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's cool. So it, LSB ping is still underway work, right? It's still continually, or is it? completed i haven't watched the drafts recently so i i haven't been watching the drafts for a while myself um yeah so people are always adding things whether those things that are get added these days are really enhancements or (laughs) i actually think it's pretty done because i actually have implemented a, a version of that draft so so we use it we have it for linux now so okay good good Excellent. All right. Well, George, I, I assume you don't blog, and I, I don't know if you're on Twitter or LinkedIn or if anybody can follow any of your work or what's going on or anything. Um, no, I'm not on any of those things. So, <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I don't blame you. I'm, I'm not on Facebook, and I'm, uh, you know, whatever. It's, it's fine. Um, so cool. Yeah. So, Donald, where can people get... Um, yeah, you can find me on Me Not You Sharp on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And that's it, right? Yeah, that's it. And, and GitHub. Yeah, GitHub. GitHub, there you go. And Russ, you can find me at rule11.tech and the Network Collective. And George, thanks for coming on for this history of networking. Um, this has been great. Uh, you know, we're always looking for good, good history and... Uh, just understanding where this technology comes from and lessons for the future for people who are engineers coming into the field today. So it's been great talking to you. Thank you. Thanks. And, yeah, thanks uh, for coming on. Join us next time for History of Networking. 